0: Hello and welcome to this final part in our series on Discipleship. This is part eight uh, and you can have a look at all the ins and outs of the previous seven parts also on our YouTube channel. In this particular uh, edition of this series we're going to be looking at passages from Matthew, Mark and Luke uh, and we'll address them as they come up. So the first thing we're going to do is pray and then we'll look at our first passage. Father, be with us as we study what you have shown us and you've revealed yourself through the Bible. Lord Jesus, help us to understand better what it means to walk beside you and follow you. Holy Spirit, would you help us be transformed by having you live within us and by desiring to follow Jesus and live his way. Amen. Well, we are gonna look at three passages. Uh, Luke 10, 38 to 42 will be the first one that we're looking at. But before we do that, I'm gonna do a little whistle-stop tour through what we've already covered. And they are gonna be really brief this time. So we've been looking at different aspects of discipleship without claiming that it's an exhaustive guide, but different aspects of it. And and we've transferred those aspects into things that might be carried by a walker uh, or a pilgrim as they make their way on a journey. So those seven things so far have been these, boots, clothing, a map, a rucksack, camera and binoculars, uh, flares and ropes, and a hand to hold, those seven things. And they've represented everything from a willingness to go through to the Holy Spirit. But do have a look at more of the details by looking at the other uh, sessions in this series. We're looking at uh, Luke 10, 38, 42 first. It may be that uh, you've already found that uh, in your Bible that you have with you, if indeed you have one. Uh, And so I'm going to read. This is using the NIV. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. fill our lives. It may be that we feel slightly differently about these things since the COVID pandemic arrived. But even as people were coming away from that time of being um, staying within their own homes, there was a sense of returning to doing more and um, having a diary that had things in it rather than it being empty. For many of us, Before the pandemic, having a full diary was almost a mark of being a complete person. If you were busy, you were healthy, you were doing things with people and for people, and that was the best way to be. Indeed, you haven't got to spend much time around uh, churches before you come across a concept, many people refer to it by name these days, but a concept called the Protestant work ethic. And that's the idea uh, that churches have been sharing with communities for hundreds of years now that says that if you're going to be a good Christian then a big part of the way that you do that is to be busy, is to work hard. And I think there's a lot to be said for giving your full attention to Jesus and serving him. But I'm not convinced that the way the Protestant work ethic has ended up working out in our contemporary culture is particularly helpful. Certainly when we look at this story involving Mary and Martha we see something of the challenge that comes with that approach that being busy is somehow a mark uh, of healthy life that to be busy is to be obedient that to be busy is to follow Jesus I think I want to suggest first of all that when we have activities that surround us that, that occupy our time and fill our day it's important that we allow those things however worthwhile they may be, however valuable and important they might be, indeed however much they might help others, that we always are aware that we can let those things make way for things that are more important. Mary and Martha's story hints at that immediately. Martha clearly felt pretty hard done by in this situation. I imagine that you've been in a scenario yourself where you've come across somebody who's busy working in the kitchen and feeling sometimes even saying that the world is not fair and it's not right because they're left to do all the work sometimes we might feel thoroughly compassionate somebody in their circumstances where a situation has meant that they've ended up carrying a load on their own but we've probably also been in situations where you thought nobody's made you do these things you've chosen to you're an adult you're a grown-up you're able to make your own choices and if those choices are tricky then or leave you in an awkward place then it's possible to make different choices or at least to explore what different choices might look like. Under those circumstances I think it's important to be able to say we we don't just have to put up with our circumstances, our way of doing things. We don't have to continue a rhythm that's been unhelpful for us or even unhealthy. Alongside that, though, there is a sense that sometimes you find yourself in a situation and there is no getting away from it. You've just been dealt a hand and you have to play that hand and you play it the best that you can. I wonder whether for Martha, if you talk in those terms about the hand you're dealt, whether or not she realised that the trump card, the card that would win over the top of anything else, was in her hand all along. And that trump card was attending to the voice of Jesus. Ultimately, she was doing things, Martha was, for Jesus. But he didn't have her tasks as his priority. His priority was to spend time with people. And Mary seemed to get her head around that. Martha's problems mounted largely because she didn't sit at Jesus' feet. You could say, well, their problems wouldn't have been there if if Mary had been pulling her weight. Fair enough. But Mary wasn't just standing around idly doing nothing. She was actually attending to Jesus' voice. And as a result, she enjoyed, for for all that Martha was desperate to provide um, a good meal for Jesus to enjoy, it was Mary who got the real feast. She got the spiritual um, company that Jesus was offering. You see a frenzy of activity that relates to church or the Bible um, or or other Christians. Those things can be really good. But that frenzy of religious activity that that means you're not spinning plates isn't the same as being with Jesus. And it isn't the same thing as obedience necessarily. I would, of course, throw in the, the caveat that to to include in the um, things I probably might give some attention to list that you might start with each day as you wake up, to include time spent with Jesus and time spent reading our Bibles. Those things are valuable and, and full of, of spiritual richness and nourishment. But that doesn't mean that spinning ridges plates is going to bring glory to God or actually satisfy what Jesus is calling us to. Ultimately, in order to get the kind of rest that we need to have as disciples, indeed the kind of rest that God himself models in Genesis, we need to be able to say no. I don't know about you, but I find saying no pretty tricky at times. But I've learned more recently that if you don't say no, you don't say no very much, then your yeses have a slightly different quality. They're not quite as valuable. If people know you're always gonna say yes, then you saying yes doesn't mean so much. But if sometimes you say no, then when you say yes, that's precious. Well, I don't think we should think about saying no for the sake of it, but we should be able to say, if somebody asks us to be involved in something. We need to consider in the balance of things, whether we are A, considering rest, as part of how we make good choices and B, spending quality time with Jesus. Are either of those things going to be sacrificed in order for us to fulfill our various yeses to others? If you're finding that there is just too much and you feel like Martha did in this little um, account over these five verses, then it's okay to say no. And it is okay to ask for help. Sometimes you don't need to say no. Perhaps you'd feel uncomfortable doing that. But if you ask for help, then it might be that you're able to say yes with help. Putting rest at the heart of our life with God is seeking good nourishment. Let's not forget that Psalm 23, among the other promises it makes to us, talks about how we will be led by the Good Shepherd to good pasture. We will be fed well. But we can't do that without stopping and enjoying the rest that we're offered. The second passage I want to look at uh, in this um, eighth part of our discipleship uh, is to do with disciples being at work and we're in Mark 6 for this we're going to look at verses 8 to 13 and also verses 30 and 31. They say this, these were his instructions Take nothing for the journey except a staff, like a walking stick. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place. And shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. In these verses, Jesus doesn't ask these uh, disciples while they were at work for a continuation of ministry forever. Despite the crowd's expectations, he looks for something else. So at the end of that uh, passage, where in verses thirty and thirty-one, the, the apostles come back and report what they've experienced and seen and done, and Jesus says, "Okay, now let's stop. Let's get away and have the chance to eat and rest, and be by ourselves, sustaining each other in our rest time." For Jesus, it would seem that rest isn't just about stopping and having a breather. It's actually about renewal. I'd like to dip back in to 1 Kings here and to the story of Elijah. When Elijah, in uh, an incredible miracle, worked before um, the people of Israel uh, and in the face of the prophets of Baal and Asherah, after after that incredible experience, he was... um, then needing to run uh, alongside a chariot for quite a way to avoid the oncoming storm, and then received some death threats, which can't be any fun, uh, and so needed to rest. And God actually took him away from the environment he had been in and said, right, we're gonna come over here where nobody knows where you are, and I'm going to feed you, and I'm gonna let you sleep. I think God is really big on this. We look again at that rhythm. Uh, that is demonstrated in Genesis, but then also repeated in Leviticus as God provides a framework for uh, a rhythm of life for, the, for his people, for the people of God. Uh, for them to understand something of how he expected humanity to work in the context of creation. God says, you'll need to stop. You'll need to rest, but not just to, to cease working but actually to find a way to be renewed. In many ways, the greater the demands on us, the greater our need to rest, or the greater our commitment to ministry, the greater our need to spend time with Jesus. Jesus teaches the disciples through this. It's not so much a verbal teaching as a modeling teaching. He teaches them to manage expectations people are going to want you all of the time and, and he shows them that that while that's the case that doesn't mean they have to be serving all of the time they will need to get away with him for rest and renewal Martha's priority just flipping back to the previous passage Martha's priority was to meet expectations and Mary's wasn't Mary's priority was to be with Jesus Work rate, and I know I'm kind of overlapping with something I said for the previous passage, work rate is not a measure of success in our discipleship, in our Christian life. The amount we do is not the same as how wise our service is. In fact, one end, um, one outcome, one product of busyness is kind of abdicating responsibility as we end up allowing priorities to be replaced by uh, demand so instead of making qualitative judgments about what actually we should give our time to we just allow the fact that things are urgent to keep us moving we start following what's urgent rather than what we believe is important we've got to be careful that the being busy doesn't take over from discernment of well-spent time or who is a um, a contemplative uh, Christian leader, um, talked about the theology of weakness and the importance of depending on God. And this goes right the way down to saying, if there's something which I could do, and maybe which I feel I should do, is God's kingdom going to suffer if I don't do it? There needs to be a, a kind of unmitigated dependence on God, a recognition that however energy, how much energy I might have and I might be able to bring, however much I might have experience and know what I have to offer, ultimately if I'm not dependent on God then I'm not actually doing it in his strength or for his glory. I'm doing it because I can and there may be other reasons too. It's hard to persuade anybody to live by faith if what they see when they look at you isn't a living by faith. But they're living by being busy. If we take our significance from what we accomplish then we're not taking it from who God says we are and our identity is best found in Jesus. Jesus follows the call to rest with provision of food much like God did for Elijah in 1 Kings putting rest at the heart of life with God is seeking good nourishment. Now it's been interesting thinking about what piece of equipment we need to add to our travelling uh, walker, our pilgrim, uh, in this particular aspect of seeking discipleship. And I wondered for a while whether the best thing to take would be um, like a, a tranje or a portable stove for, for refueling um, or or a water bottle or something like that, that that does refreshment and renewal. And I think those would have been good choices, but ultimately I've gone for that rolled up sleeping bag that gets attached to the bottom of a rucksack. The, The food and water idea I think is still good, but ultimately I think probably the thing that our culture most discourages us from doing is resting because resting is good. We're encouraged to pursue leisure in all kinds of ways if you like to be busy doing something that isn't work. But I think that what Jesus calls for here is different. Verse 31, come with me by yourselves, he says, to a quiet place and get some rest. Our third passage uh, is from um, Mark. It's Mark 2, chapter chapter two, verses twenty-three to 28. Let's read that now. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Christian writer, theologian Alistair McGrath says that going without rest is basically a refusal to unwrap a gift which has been designed for our benefit and provided through love. Jesus in this passage is challenged about the legality before God of making sure that there's something to eat. On the Sabbath. And he says the idea wasn't to make rules so that people could follow them, the idea was to make people and then design rules that would help them. Perhaps your experience of Christian teaching and church leaves you feeling a bit surprised by that. Maybe your experience is that Christians tend to talk about what the rules are and say that ultimately our job is to make sure we keep the rules. But when we look at Leviticus when we look at Genesis, when we look at this description of Jesus' engagement with religious people, he's saying, look, the way in which the law was written was designed to illuminate and enlighten the relationship between God and humanity, not to squish it, not to constrain it, but to help it make the most sense. God did make us to work by a rhythm, and And so it's healthy for us to recognise that rest is part of that rhythm. God is a working person. He does things and he rests. He knows and models to us what what it means for humanity to have limits and need to work within them. If we ignore the rhythm that he provides for us or has modeled to us, then it's like using a machine beyond its tolerances. Ultimately, it will break you your car needs a service and you decide not to bother because all you need it to do is keep running and running and running and you haven't asked anything particularly outrageous of it it will still break down if it's not cared for in its own rhythm from jesus point of view rest is not limitation it's not that we rest because we have to it's that we are liberated by our resting we get to be restored And renewed and to engage with him to get to know the father better to find out a bit better how the family business operates or even just to luxuriate in the fact that the father loves to give good things it's sad that I've come for me that I've come across so many people who want to walk with Jesus and so often assume that the hard choice is going to be the right one or that if there's a an offering where they're going to suffer, an option where they're going to suffer that must be what Jesus wants them to do because they read those things that say to suffer for, for doing good is is um, is, uh, is it's the really beatitudes isn't it blessed are those who suffer when they have um, lived righteously but they, they take that and they sort of Squeeze it out and twist it around a little bit and make it say that that every choice that you make has to be one that brings suffering if God is to approve of it. And I don't think that's what God shows us, certainly not in the way that Jesus is talking. In Exodus 33, God says this, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. It's part of his plan. Part of what he wants humanity to experience is real rest. Now, rest of the isn't just about time either. It's also about um, other things that bring us nourishment spiritually. And that includes fasting, and, and uh, which is an exercise that essentially, through which we are demonstrating that we know we are dependent on God for all things. And we put ourselves in that position of dependence by saying that we recognise only he can sustain us. Solitude is also nourishing and silence. Spending time alone with God, with no distractions, is sometimes hard to carve out when other things might fight for our attention. But there is nourishment in that too. And the rhythm of our time should include that. Mary was resting from action in that first account, but fully engaged with Jesus. Gordon MacDonald says this, the world and the church need fully rested Christians. The fourth of four uh, passages to look at is from Matthew, it's from Matthew 26, and I'm reading verses 36 to 38. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled and then he said to them my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death stay here and keep watch with me jesus in his time of need in his preparation space between the demands of the week running up to his arrest and the anguish of his arrest torture and execution in that space of pause with his disciples he asks for help jesus does jesus says in his full humanity i need help stay here and keep watch with me in times of weariness and struggle we need to tell other people maybe only a few maybe only one or two but we need to tell somebody what we're going through without We deny them the chance to show love and take care the way Jesus would. We recognise that Jesus calls us to be his hands and feet. And if you're struggling, it's worth being aware that Jesus wants to call others to be his hands and feet to support you. And by asking for help or letting others know you're struggling, you put yourself in that community of Jesus type love and care. The arrest and execution came nearer for Jesus. And he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, with knowing that arrest and execution were nearer and immense tiredness and stress would follow. And his go-to response was to spend time with the Father, but he wanted support from his friends, even as he prays. interesting isn't it to go back to that mary and martha thing again and notice the honesty that they bring martha in her frustration doesn't simmer quietly in the background she's not she, she doesn't wait until it until jesus is gone and boil over at mary and lash out at her she doesn't it seems she doesn't choose passive aggressive tactics or sarcasm to make her point Her relationship with Jesus is strong enough and trusting enough that she just says, this doesn't seem fair, Jesus. Won't you do something about it? Mary seems to have an honest relationship with Jesus too. I have no doubt that she knew what the expectations of her were and she would then know what Jesus would expect her to be doing, where he would expect her to be busy. And she has confidence enough in him to say, I'm not going to be in the kitchen. I'm going to be here with you because I think that's the right place to be. Their honesty for all the sense of tension and frustration and even confrontation in that family. Their honesty with Jesus models something to us that's important. Our need for rest is something we need to bring to Jesus. Our need for help. Is something we need to bring to jesus and with those comes a willingness to let him decide whether now is a good time to stop whether now is a good time to abide with him whether now is a good time to rest and renew let's pray father we give you our whole selves Confident that we are in good hands when we give ourselves to you. Lord Jesus, we want to follow you, to spend time in your presence and to know the renewal that comes from that. Give us courage to do things that way. Holy Spirit, raise our level of trust in our Father that we might allow ourselves to enjoy his presence and not worry. So much about whether we're doing all the things that we think he might want us to do. To allow ourselves instead to be, find our identity in being his followers and loved by the Father. Amen. So it's three questions time. Here we go. First question. Is my character submitted to Jesus. Really what we're asking here is um, who gets to decide what shape I am. Am I choosing my own shape as a person or am I saying to Jesus uh, I may be this shape now but I want you to mould me so that I am the shape you want me to be and even to acknowledge that the shape you are now might be wrong the shape he changes you into might be better and that he might then change you again later. I started off by saying the shape you are now might be wrong I only mean sort of wrong for that context or or it might be that he wants to adapt something in you. The reality is as the New Testament tells us that we are not at heart good people and that there aren't any at heart good people that's not how humanity is that's not the human condition. But we are made in the image of God and so there is much about us which is a gift from God which we can celebrate. Being willing to be transformed, to be shaped by the Holy Spirit is crucial if we are to live in harmony with each other and to enjoy the presence of Jesus leading us on. So the the question was, is my character submitted to Jesus? Uh, Is who I am the kind of person I am given over to him? Question two, is my pride subdued? This really is a question about who is the boss? And it's a reflection question, so nobody can really answer it for you, you can only answer it for yourself. It's important that we ask questions like these of ourselves while we're with others so that we can be honest with them about who we are and how we're growing or in which ways we'd like to grow. Really this question is about who the boss is in your life and and the, the old-fashioned um, church way of doing this is to say, well, am, am I the boss of me, or do I let Jesus be the boss of me? And it's a good way of thinking about it, but I want to just nuance that a little bit. Am I finding that the person who leads the way for me is Jesus, or more likely his spirit in me? Am I instead, perhaps, or maybe somewhere in the mix or the balance, am I instead finding that... The boss is more likely to be the things that feel urgent. It's not so much about saying, am I always making selfish choices for me? We do do that, but also quite often, we live in a way that is governed by what we think the urgent things are. Or sometimes we allow the expectations of others to be the boss. We assume that they must know better than we do for whatever reason, maybe because they tell us That they do, and so instead of Jesus being in charge, other people's expectations end up being in charge. Or maybe it's the demands of others. Our determination to serve means that, um, in Jesus' name, sometimes we allow ourselves to be strung out by those who just keep asking and asking and asking. And it's not that they don't have needs, but sometimes we need to make sure that we are looking after our own sense of rest. Or more importantly. We are allowing Jesus' idea of rest and renewal to be in charge. So is my pride subdued? Or as you might say, who is the boss? Is it Jesus? Is it my expectations? Is it the demands of others? Is it the urgent? And how do I change that? Who do I ask for help? Question three. Is my pace sustainable? I remember in a previous church coming across folks who just were weary and burned out. And when I looked at what they were doing and what they were committed to, I thought, well, of course you are. Um, You know, in some cases, quite often, actually, um, folks who were retired and who had responsibilities to their family uh, and had a desire to help their neighbours and were also taking on three or four different commitments in the church too. And while they did all those things well and they were all um, rewarding and significant things to do, they weren't sustainable. And the moment that they stopped, actually, um, A, they felt better. uh, But B, also, they suddenly realised how weary they'd become. And if churches, if if our expectations of each other and of our pattern of living is such that we are expecting people to keep going in unsustainable ways, then we're not helping each other we're not nourishing and we're not nurturing a healthy way of following Jesus either remember Jesus himself said I need help here I need someone to stay with me keep watch with me while I pray well thank you so much for being with us through all eight of these parts of this discipleship series I hope you've got a sense of what you might carry with you Uh, in your own discipleship life. And I hope that you feel able to turn to others and share with them your experience of being a disciple and, and perhaps what challenges you, what you want to change or how you are hoping that the Spirit might transform you. We are walking together in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.